Hey, um, today we're going to be looking at a lot of different passages of Scripture, most of which are in Proverbs. And so we have a Bible app that has, if you click the menu on the Bible app and you go to uh, events, you can find all those passages of Scripture there. You can follow along that way. If you want, you can flip through your Bible and you can look them up that way. But I gave you yet another level of cheating. I put them on the screen. Now, occasionally someone will say, Pastor, those letters on the screen are too small. And you remember, they are adjustable. It's just a matter of you moving closer. That's what makes them bigger, okay? And if they're too big, move back. It's all right. All right, yeah. Um, I want to talk to you today um, about someone named Sylvia Bloom. You ever heard of Sylvia Bloom? Sylvia Bloom was a child of Eastern European immigrants who grew up in New York City. She grew up in Brooklyn during the Great Depression. And she, after she graduated from high school, she put herself through college And as an adult, she worked all her adult life as a secretary in the city. Two years ago, she died at age 96, and her family and friends learned something about her that they didn't know before. They learned that Sylvia was a self-made millionaire. She worked as a secretary, but she distributed $8 million to charities that she cared about upon her death. She had upwards of $9 million at the time of her death. And the question comes, where does a secretary make that kind of money? How did, what kind of job did she have? Well, according to the New York Times, in 1947, Sylvia went to work for a Wall Street law firm. She worked there 67 years. And during that time, she paid attention and she learned She was aware that she knew nothing about the stock market. She knew nothing about investing. She knew nothing about playing the market. But she learned from others who did know. In fact, when her niece said this, after she died, her niece said to the New York Times, when her boss would buy stock, she would buy some of the same stock for herself, but in smaller amount, because after all, she only had a secretary's salary. And in the end, She had about $9 million. Now, there are a lot of different words you could use to describe Sylvia Bloom. You might use the word clever, (laughs) indeed. You might say she was shrewd. Absolutely. She was wise, without question. Astute. I like that word. She was an astute woman. Yeah, I get that. But the word I'm going to use to describe her is teachable. Sylvia was a person who was able to look and listen and observe, and here's the word, learn from others who knew how to do things that she had no idea how to do. If you're teachable, you benefit. If you're not teachable, sorry. (laughs) Now, you know, we have been looking at a few pages of a book by J.R. Briggs called Fail. It's a book that speaks to pastors who have failed in a ministry or an aspect of their ministry. And in one chapter, in chapter 9 of that book, he says, here's nine things that pastors did to become resilient after their failure. And we've kind of robbed those nine things and developed them into a sermon series to learn about resilient so that we can be resilient throughout our life, not just in times of failure. Specifically, we've investigated a number of tools that God gives us as human beings and as believers to help us bounce back when we get knocked down. We've talked about spiritual companionship, talked about mentoring. We talked about taking personal responsibility, the tool of knowing how to process your pain, hunger for God, corporate worship. There's a couple others uh, that we'll, we'll talk about. Today, I want to talk to you about having a teachable spirit or being a person who is teachable. David Murray is a professor of New Testament and practical theology, and he says this. He says, there's one characteristic that separates 
the successful from the unsuccessful in every walk of life. What do you think that is? Teachability. Teachability. So are you teachable? I mean, would you say, yeah, I'm a man, I'm a woman who, I, I'm, I have a teachable spirit, I'm that person. Uh, chances are you don't really know. Maybe your wife knows or your husband knows. Maybe your teachers at school know or maybe your students who you teach know. But it's really something that's hard to assess on your own. I, I want to give you maybe um, to help you assess your level of teachability. I've reworked some questions from another seminary professor, pastor and author, James Emery White, that will help you get maybe a, a handle on this. Think about these questions with me. Number one, do you eagerly seek counsel? So are you the kind of person when you're ready to do something, do you go to somebody and say, how did, what do you do? How do you do this? Or are you the kind of person that says, I already know how to do whatever, okay? Number two, do you have a sense of entitlement that you should be given a position, you should be given prominence, you should be given a platform? That might hinder teachability in your life. Number three, do you automatically assume you pretty much know everything there is to know about your job? Yeah. Number four, do you ask others to evaluate something that you're working on? <laughs> in other words, at the end of something or in the progress of something that you're working on at work or at home or whatever, in ministry, whatever, do you, do you say, hey, how do you think I'm doing on this? How's, this? how's this look to you? Two more. Number five. Are you open to new ideas and perspectives or do you argue against new ideas? I mean, when some bright-eyed, naive, neophyte newcomer comes and speaks up, do you just shake your head and say, oh man, they don't know nothing. Here's the last one. Do you have a mentor? Do you have a coach, someone who's helping you along through life? That doesn't mean someone you're paying to be your mentor, but who do you say that person is really helping me develop as a human being and even more importantly, as a believer? Those are really good questions. They are questions that kind of address your attitude. And while they help you imagine your level of teachability, I believe that they also reveal something about your resilience. Because if you are not teachable, bouncing back will be a struggle for you when you get knocked down. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about teachability, verse after verse, particularly in the book of Proverbs. And sometimes when the Bible says these things about teachability, it can be pretty dramatic. For example, there's a proverb that says, whoever remains stiff-necked, that means stubborn, after many rebukes, well, I love the language here. I don't like the idea, but the language, suddenly be destroyed without remedy. That says there's no resilience there. That if you're not teachable, if you're stiff-necked, after a lot of times that people pointed something out to you, then what awaits you is, how dramatic is this? Sudden destruction and no remedy. Other times, the Bible is almost downright poetic in the way it addresses teachability. For example, in Proverbs 25, 12, it says, like an earring of gold or an ornament of fine gold is a rebuke of a wise judge to a listening ear. That sounds almost pretty, doesn't it? Yeah. In fact, that's worth memorizing. Listen to it again. Like an earring of gold or an ornament of fine gold is a rebuke of a wise judge to a listening ear. Good stuff. Here's a, th a third thing the Bible says. Sometimes it's, the Bible's kind of like that uncle that'll slap you upside the head and say, hey, pay attention when I'm talking to you. It says, when a mocker is punished, the simple gain wisdom. Pay attention to the wise and get knowledge. I wish I could do foghorn leghorn. Remember him? Pay attention when I'm talking to you, boy. That wasn't bad. Yeah, right? And sometimes the Bible's that way. Pay attention. 
Other times, the Bible just speaks in very, very plain words and says, the way of fools seems right to them, but the wise, they listen to advice. Now, those verses might seem real common to you. You're like, yeah, everybody knows that, Pastor Steve. I get that I have to be teachable. I've been told that all my life, but honestly, I think we all struggle a little bit with teachability. I struggle with teachability. Do you struggle with teachability? I think there are some reasons we do. And I'd like to say we struggle with teachability for good reasons, but they're all bad. In fact, I came up with five of them. I'm just going to share three reasons we struggle with teachability. Uh, and, and I think I have them listed here from bad to worst. You be the judge. The first one is this. We struggle with teachability because of laziness. I mean, learning, <laughs> that's hard word. Hard work, rather. Listen to Proverbs 4.10. It says, listen, and there's the verb, listen, my son, to what I say, uh, the years of your life will be many. And that word, listen, do you, you ever watch Charles Stanley when he's preaching on television? For a season in his life, I, I used to sit there and count how many times in one sermon he said, listen, you know, he just did that. It was kind of, listen, and I'm sure that I do things like that, right? <laughs> my wife said, I can't believe how often you say, right? Yeah, I know, I picked it up from my daughter, right? Right? <laughs> I just did it naturally, right? Yeah. Well, well, Stanley has a point to make, and so he's saying, listen to this. And you think, why does he say that? He's Charles Stanley. Everybody's listening, right? Not necessarily, because listening is hard. In fact, M. Scott Peck says that the work of love is listening. I think he's onto something there. Because have you ever been with a little kid that's just talking and talking and talking and talking and talking? Would you ever shut up, you know? Your husband's not that way, is he? Not your wife either, right? And you would never say that to them. You would not even say that to a child. But you do understand that listening is something that is hard work. And sometimes we're just too lazy to do that. Uh, that is not going to contribute to being teachable. But I think worse than laziness is apathy. When I think of apathy, I think of Jesus speaking to that church in Laodicea when he says, you know what, some of you, because you're lukewarm, you're neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You have no zeal, you have no passion, you have no interest for growing, no, no determination in your heart for worship, no, no um, real drive for serving. You're apathetic. You're not hot or cold either one. Apathy, it's a hazard. When I was a teen, I thought, I honestly thought that they invented the word apathy for my generation, you know? And I was like the poster child for it. I, I can remember my mom saying to me, Steve, come in here and let me show you how to cook. She sent it to me over and over again. I, I, I don't care if I know how to cook. Yeah, but you're going to need to know how to cook. I lived on peanut butter and, and jelly sandwiches before I, before I married Laurel, you know? Yeah. Because I really knew there was an outcome to not knowing how to cook, but I really didn't give a rip. And that's worse than being lazy. And that's a little bit of why we're not teachable sometimes. Because we just don't care. But I would say the worst reason, and the most common reason, that we struggle with teachability is because of our pride. Because of our pride. In fact, most people would say that is the number one reason People struggle with teachability. It was James Emery White. I quoted him earlier. Listen to what he says again. He says, pride, the pride that keeps us from being teachable is one of the most subtle forms of pride there is. I've seen it take root and keep many people from developing into what they most needed to become. You've seen it, right? You've seen someone and they're in a bad situation with maybe one of their kids, the dad and the son, the teenage son, and they're at odds with one another. And the mom's standing there saying, you're both just too proud to deal with this. Pride keeps you from reconciling, keeps you from being teachable as well. 
In fact, pride, that kind of arrogance, is what we understand the Scripture is telling us that got Lucifer kicked out of heaven. I say to you, it is the most, the most powerful and disgusting reason that we struggle. I want to take a moment and kind of compare teachable people and unteachable people with one another. I want to say to you, they kind of differ in the way they think about reality. Uh, and this is what I mean. One of them is embracing reality. The other one is embracing an illusion. The unteachable. They lie to themselves about what they know. They lie to themselves about what they can do. They lie to themselves about who they are. They pretend and they lie to others about the same thing. And they have this illusion that I don't need any advice. I don't need any counsel. I don't need any learning. I can do this without it. And they try to get you into that same illusion. They just can't say, wait a minute. I'm not sure I know what I'm doing here. Can you help me with this? Because they're under this illusion. They have all they need to know. I had a friend and when we were working with computers together, (laughs) I would say to him, this needs to be done on the computer here. Can you do that? And he would say, oh yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. I'll do that. And then when I come back, it wasn't done. And I'd say, what's up? And and he would say, oh yeah, I, I didn't get to do that. And then I'd do it. And little by little, as time went by, I began to realize that when I would ask him to do that to that computer, he didn't know how. But, but, he was living a lie that said, I do know how, and he wanted me to believe that lie as well. It's kind of like living in illusion and being afraid to embrace reality. In contrast, the teachable person, he embraces reality. She grabs a hold of reality and says, this is the truth. It's like the two of them, the, the teachable people, have, they fit with the Clint Eastwood line. Man, God's to know his limitations. You know? I can't do Clint Eastwood any better than I can do Foghorn and Leghorn. You gotta know your limitations. And a teachable person knows his limitations. He knows what he can do and he knows what he can't do. I just can't do that. But listen, listen, hear this. He doesn't settle. He doesn't say, oh yeah, I can't do that. I guess I never will. He says, I can't do that. Teach me how to do that. And as we learn how to do things by embracing the reality that there are certain things we don't know how to do, that knowledge, that learning, builds our resilience when troubles come into our lives. Here's another contrast between teachable people and unteachable people, and it has to do with how they regard fear. Unteachable people, they feel like they're being very courageous and brave. They're actually being very foolhardy, and often they're motivated by fear. Yeah, I can do that, because they're afraid people will say, huh, you can't do that. They're afraid that people say they don't have that skill or realize they don't have that ability, and fear keeps them from admitting that. And that is why unteachable people often become blame shifters. They love to blame other people. You know why I left her? I left her. Because I never had a good role model on how to be a husband. It's someone else's fault. Do you know why I'm not good in math? I'm not good in math because I had Mrs. Dinger in fourth grade. May she rest in pieces. It's her fault. I'm not really uh, good with people because I don't have a lot of patience because people are idiots. It's their fault. And you understand that It's really a matter of lying to yourself and it's blaming other people because you think you're okay and you're brave and you're not really, you're afraid. But the teachable person, he's the one who's fearless. Teachable people take responsibility for what they don't know 
what they can't do, and they say, I can't do that. And I'm not afraid to admit that I can't do that. And when they take that responsibility, suddenly a potential is open to them, a door is open to them that they can learn to do that, and they can actually, as they learn to do such things, life skills, they become more resilient. Teachable. And unteachable people differ in terms of ear-to-mouth ratio. Can anyone tell me what's the ear-to-mouth ratio on the average human being? Tell me what it is. Two to one. Yep. Yeah. Some of you are like, what does that mean? Yeah, you've heard it. God gave you two ears and one mouth. Use them in proportion, right? We've all heard that. Two to one. We are to listen, if we use that ratio, twice as much as we speak. Chances are the ratio should be far greater than that. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 2 says, Fools find no pleasure in understanding. They delight in airing their own opinions. Here they are. Yeah, that's a bad ear-to-mouth ratio. This past year, I mentioned earlier, this past year, Sky Jatani was a featured speaker for 10 days at Mahaffey Camp. Wow, we are just blessed beyond measure, aren't we? I happened to be sitting in the dining hall, and there was Sky, and I thought about sitting with him, but somebody else went and sat with him, a guy that I know, a guy who loves to talk. I'm not going to tell you who he was, but he's a guy who just loves to talk. I'm going to call him Willis. How about we use that name for him, right? Throughout the 20 minutes or so that they ate together, Sky probably spoke a total of 60 seconds. Willis spoke 19 minutes during that time. Now, let's think this through for a minute, okay? This is Sky Jatani. Sky Jatani is an award-winning author, speaker, consultant, and an ordained alliance pastor. That's got to count for something, right? On top of that, he is a co-host of the Phil Vischer podcast. Phil Vischer, that's the VeggieTales guy. And he's not just a visitor on that, he's a co-host with Phil, right? In fact, he's the only sane person on that podcast. I listen to it. Sky has served in numerous editorial and executive positions at Christianity Today, a ministry founded by Billy Graham. He's been featured in the Washington Post, Relevant, ChurchLeaders.com, the Huffington Post, and he's even been quoted in the New York Times. Sky is frequently a featured radio guest on Moody Radio, Word FM, Chicago Public Radio, PBS. His credentials are pretty amazing. So here he is at Mahaffey Camp, sitting at a breakfast table with another guy, and who's doing the talking? Willis. Can you see what's wrong with the picture? Wow. Teachable people don't do that. Teachable people try to listen. Speaking of Mahaffey Camp, my first year in ministry, when I went to Mahaffey Camp for the work week, I was assigned, and it's a wonder I ever went back, because I was assigned a job of digging a tree stump out of the ground. They gave us picks, they gave us axes, they gave us shovels, they get that tree stump out of there. And there were three of us. There was me, there was Rock Dilliman, and there was another guy who will remain nameless. As we were gathered there, I thought, I'm with Rock Dilliman. He's the pastor of one of the biggest churches in Pittsburgh, Allegheny Center Alliance Church. He is so far ahead of me, even though he's only a few years older than me, and so far ahead of this other guy, I got to get Rock talking so I can learn. And so I asked this question. I still remember the question. I said, Rock, um, I pastor a small church in the northern part of the district, about 60 people on Sunday morning. How do you think that your role differs from that of my, myself? Now, that's a really lame question. I know that's just a dumb question to ask. But what I was trying to do was I was trying to establish that I wanted him to talk. I want to learn from him. I want Brock to go ahead and as he's swinging the ax to talk about how to be the pastor God wants you to be. That's what I want. And that's what I didn't get. Do you know why? Because the other pastor said, 
Well, I can tell you that. And then he went on, and Rock never got a chance to talk. Here's what I want you to hear. That other pastor, he's no longer in ministry. He didn't have resilience. And when things got bad, he hit the ground and never got back up. I think he's working in a supermarket for a supermarket chain at this time. What I want you to understand is that if you want resilience, you're going to have to be teachable. And if you're going to be teachable, then your ear-to-mouth ratio is going to have to be at least two to one. Probably higher than that. Are you starting to see the importance of teachability? Let me give you some, maybe some more solid biblical evidence of how teachability is important and it feeds resilience. Did I say resilience? Yeah, resilience. And I'm going to do this by just laying out maybe a few passages of Scripture. The, The first thing I want you to understand is teachability brings you wisdom. Over and over again, the Bible pits wisdom against folly. Wisdom against folly. The wise, they endure. The foolish, they perish. The wise, they are resilient. The foolish, they don't get back up. And teachability brings you that thing called wisdom. Proverbs 9 says, instruct the wise and they'll be wiser still. So when you get instruction, if you are teachable, that will make you wiser and wisdom brings resilience. Speaking in regard to battle, the Bible says that teachability actually opens the door to success. I didn't say it brings success. We've all met people who are educated above their intelligence, right? That's what Dr. Norris used to say about himself. But in general, teaching, teachability presents you with opportunities to be successful that you would never otherwise enjoy. And contrast that with people that are not teachable. They don't succeed, even when they have opportunities. Proverbs 24, 6 says, Surely you need guidance to wage war. Victory is won through, and catch the phrase, many advisors. It's because you're teachable. If you have success in that area then, like I had many advisors, and, and, and I learned, then the next time you fall down, you'll say, wow, I can get back up because I can go to more advisors and I can learn. And that teachability will open a door to success in your life and give you resilience. This might sound strange to you, but the teachability, actually, it relieves your shame. I didn't finish it. I read the beginning of, and then I got distracted, a book uh, by Ed Welch called Shame Interrupted. Anybody read that? Let me see. Okay. One guy, two guys. Yeah, Shame Interrupted. Um. Ed Welch tells a story of leading a group of adults, a group of people that he gathered together to talk to them about shame. And he handpicked these people. So these were some of the, who he would consider the more thoughtful, people who were wise, people who were adept at helping others. And he put them together. He said, I'd like to get together with you in a small group. Maybe there were a dozen or 20 people there. And and he began, and he said this. He said, we're going to talk about shame this evening. Have any of you experienced shame? And then he added these words. He said, debilitating shame. And he hoped that at least one person would put up his hand. Yeah, I've dealt with that, Ed, but there wasn't one person. The whole class put up their hands. I have experienced debilitating shame. It's common, shame is. And it's debilitating. You know what debilitating means? It means it cripples you, it knocks you down, it puts you down. It, It hinders, stifles resilience. Welsh says that when you have that deep sense that you're unacceptable because of something you did or something that was done to you or something that was associated with you, that makes you feel exposed and humiliated. And when you have that kind of shame, I'm saying you're not going to be resilient. Now, 
Jesus. In taking our guilt, he took our shame when he died on the cross. We can avoid further shame if we're teachable. In fact, Proverbs chapter Proverbs chapter 13, verse 18 says, whoever disregards discipline, think of that as teaching, comes to poverty and shame. But whoever heeds correction is honored. Teachability does indeed increase your resilience. I guess maybe an all-encompassing phrase about teachability is that it leads to life. As long as you're alive, you can bounce back. I love the verse in Ecclesiastes where it says, anyone who is living has hope. Even a living dog is better off than a dead lion, right? Uh, Proverbs 10 affirms there is life-giving power to teachability. When it says in verse 17, whoever heeds discipline shows the way to life, but whoever ignores correction leads others astray. When you're teachable, you live well. Now, let me ask you a question. How did you learn to ride a bicycle? And let me ask the question this way. Is there anyone here who saw a bicycle in the garage or in the shed or out back in the yard or in the neighbor's yard and not having ever seen anyone ride it, you hopped on it and began to pedal without any kind of instruction or any, even having seen anyone ride before? Is there anyone here that did that? No, absolutely not. How could you do that? To learn to ride a bicycle, you need to have the kind of mom that's on the screen who's willing to run along there beside you because you need a teacher to help you do that. I, I would imagine that there were times when that teacher was helping you do that that they let go and you fell down. I can remember teaching my daughter when she was riding her bicycle. She's pedaling along and I'm running behind holding on to the, the, the back of the seat as she's going and she keeps looking back. She's going like, hang on, don't let go. And I'm like, would you look ahead please? You know, <laughs> because I was teaching her how to do that. We need teachers to help us do that. I cannot imagine, although perhaps there is someone who would say, I don't want you to teach me how to ride this bicycle and would scorn that teaching as a child. And if there is someone who said that, they don't know how to ride a bicycle to this very day until they overcome that resistance to teachability. Teachability, it's what makes it when you fall off that bicycle, it makes it so you can get back on it. It gives you resilience. Teachability, it is what makes it so that when the pony throws you off into the driveway and your dad says, get back on there, you get back on the pony. Teachability, it makes you resilient. It helps you to overcome the things in life that knock you down. But do you remember as we spoke about the hindrances to teachability, we said, well, there's several of them, and the first one's laziness, the next one's apathy, but the big one is pride. That is probably what prevents you and me, or at least people like you and me, from being teachable the most, that we would rather do it ourselves and figure it out ourselves. And that can be a strength. I mean, if you're sitting there doing a math problem, or if you're working on a puzzle or playing a video game, and you just hand the controller to someone else and say, I don't know how to do this, you do it, there's no good in that. So that, that independence is something God has driven into us. But when we push that to the point where we refuse to be taught by others that God places in our life, then that's pride. And that's damaging to us. And so what we need is humility. And humility is the process of bowing your knee before another. That's a hard thing for me to do. 
I don't like doing that, that bowing the knee thing. It's even hard for me sometimes to do it before God. I mean, I could come in here and raise my hands and worship God, and if we bowed, I could do that. But when God says, you're doing this wrong, Steve, I want you to do it this way, sometimes my pride, my stiff nakedness, wow, nakedness sounded like nakedness, didn't it? (laughs) Sometimes my tendency to be stubborn prevents me from bowing before God. Here's a really cool thing about God. You ever watch those TV shows, you know, with cops and bad guys or with heroes or something like that? And they bring in the bad guy to talk to the head guy and they they knock him down, they make him, you know, down on the floor before the boss. You ever seen something like that on TV? That's forcing the person to bow, right? Jesus never does that to you. Never, ever, ever. Instead, he bows with you. And so as he wants you to humble yourself, to humble yourself so that you can be teachable, he takes you by the arm and he kneels with you and says, you can do this. You can surrender your pride. Now you might be thinking, I can't think of a shred of biblical evidence that he does something like that, Pastor Steve. How about um, Philippians chapter 2, where Jesus at the cross humbled himself and became obedient, even obedient to death. When he was doing that, he was setting a pattern and providing an ability for you to humble yourself. Teachability is not something you can psych up in your spirit to a sufficient degree. Teachability only comes when you visit the cross of Christ and say, yes, Jesus, I humble myself. Please help me kneel. All I want for you ever is to be everything that God wants you to be. That's all I ever want for you. I want you to be resilient because God wants you to be resilient. I want you to be teachable because that will make you resilient and God wants you to be teachable. I want you to be humble before God because that is the only means whereby you will be teachable. And so I want to pray that you would experience that humility and that Jesus would take you by the hand and you would surrender your heart to him in every area. So if you're comfortable doing so, let's stand together and I'll pray for you. Okay, let's think this through for a minute. Remember what we're doing? We're saying, God, I want to be resilient. If I'm going to be resilient, I need to be teachable. If I'm going to be teachable, I need to be humble. And humility doesn't come naturally to me. So I need a supernatural act of your spirit, Jesus, in my life to help me to humble myself before you. Because I know that if I humble myself in the sight of the Lord, you will lift me up. That's what I'm asking for. So let's ask him for that. Father in heaven, as we stand before you, we stand as men and women who you have wired to do a lot of things on our own. You don't want us to be the kind of people that just let other people do what, what, we're, what we're tasked with doing. But, and, and that kind of makes us want to do it ourselves sometimes. We never want to push that, though, to the degree where we become unteachable in matters of how to be a better mom or a better dad, in matters of how to walk with you more closely, in matters of how to worship you, in matters of how to serve you, in matters of how to love In matters of how to build bridges, we need to be teachable. We need to be teachable just to survive because life will knock us down 
over and over again. And we need that measure of resilience. And so we are asking you, Jesus, to take our hands and help us to bow our hearts and our spirits and surrender to your sovereign will. Humble us so that we can be teachable by a gracious act of your spirit. In Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen.